Thank you for stopping by this science fiction podcast from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado. Today we're presenting the short story, On a Train with a Coyote Ghost, by Robin Wyatt Dunn. Robin hails originally from Wyoming, but is now a Californian. This year he started teaching English composition at colleges in Los Angeles, and will be releasing a new novel at the end of the year called A Map of Kex's Face. His author website is robindunn.com. Our thanks to Robin for this brave and affecting story, which first appeared in the anthology Abbreviated Epics. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. And now, here's On a Train with a Coyote Ghost by Robin Wyatt Dunn, read by Julie Gusseroff. On the train with a coyote ghost. I am heading east into Kursk. The coyote ghost is coming too. It is snowing. I'm not afraid of the coyote ghost. I like him. He's very large. Outside it is very cold and growing colder. I'm going to see the worker. I need broth for my grandmother. Her village has been ill, my grandmother especially. This is why I'm going to Kursk, where the worker is said to live now. My papers have been prepared. They are in my purse. My mother brought me the purse. It is black like my hair. I'm not afraid because the coyote ghost is with me. He is my father's. For years, he was my father's friend. Now he's coming with me over the border on the train. Name is Jezebel and I am a Jew, but inside I am more ancient. I do not know how old I am inside. Outside, I am 10. When my father was in the army, he met the coyote ghost in a bombed village outside of Bograd. My father, who was good with animals because he was a hunter, asked the coyote ghost what he was doing in a village outside of Bograd, since coyotes only occur in the Americas. I am a ghost and can live wherever I please, the coyote ghost told him. You should leave here. There are more dogs where I live. Where do you live? asked the coyote ghost. Krakow. That is how I met the coyote ghost. He came home with my father after the Americans bombed Serbia. Long ago, the workers' ancestors crossed over the Bering Strait into the Americas, taking our traditions with them. Now one of them has returned as a ghost. I know that the coyote ghost sometimes thinks about eating me. This is in its nature. I do not think about eating the coyote. It is a ghost. Also, I do not care to eat dogs. The coyote ghost is coming with me to help me at the border. It is night, but soon it will be morning. Every hour, the conductor walks through my car to see that everything is in order. I am the only passenger in the car. People are poor now, and my mother saved for a long time to buy me this ticket. When the conductor passes through, I hide the coyote ghost under my purse. Because he's a coyote, he is very good at hiding in tight places, although he is many times my size. When you understand the intentions of the Russians, you will know that you are passing into a liminal space within the mind, which is defined by color and shape and movement. The coyote ghost is saying, staring into my eyes. I cannot tell you in advance what they will do, but once you understand what they are going to do, you will understand what your own actions must be to satisfy the needs of the gate at the Russian border. Even in life, coyotes must be cognizant of gates, and in death more so. If the Russian guards are going to refuse you, you will know in advance if you pay attention. If they refuse you, I will take one action. If they admit you, I will take another. Do you understand? Of course, I said, but what will you do if they refuse me? That is for me to know, the coyote said. Naturally, you could always give up now and let me eat you. Not just yet, I said. Maybe later. Hmm, said the coyote. 
Our ancestors were great students of nature, especially plants. The worker knows which plants can be used for special purposes, such as divination. My grandmother is a powerful visionary, but even her talents, she says, are not enough for what we are facing now. And so I have been chosen to go and get the broth because it is needed. I am not afraid. The coyote holds my hand in its paw, and slowly I fall asleep with the snow outside and the train humming beneath my body. When I wake, it is already morning. We are approaching the border. The conductor enters the car, and the coyote ghost hides under my purse. Not there, I whisper to him. He hides instead under my skirt. I pick up my purse and take out my papers to show the conductor. Good morning, Javushka. Papers, please. I hand him my papers. He examines them carefully. Then he places a stamp on them. Who is meeting you in Kursk, he asks. My father, I tell him. But my father is dead. The conductor notes this in his notebook, then leaves. Outside I can see the city in the dawn light. And come out now, I tell the coyote ghost. He comes out from under my skirt. They will let me in, I say. Don't be so sure, says the coyote. A hundred meters from the edge of the city, the train screeches to a halt. Open the window, says the coyote ghost. I'm afraid, and the window is stuck. I pound on it with my fist. Open it, says Coyote. I pound and pound on it. I can hear men coming in the next car. My hand is bleeding. Finally it opens and freezing air swirls into the car, filled with snowflakes and yellow-red light. The Coyote pushes me out the window and I land in the snow beside the tracks. What will you do? I shout at the Coyote ghost. Now you run, he says, looking at me from the window with his strange eyes. I am running through the snow. Behind me I can hear soldiers. Halt! One of the soldiers shouts in Russian. I run faster. Behind me I can hear the coyote and I look back. He is much larger than the train, glowing in the dawn light, his smile terrible and gleaming, and I scream at him not to kill them, but I look away. I do not know if he killed them or not. I am in the woods. I am crying under a tree. I still have my purse my mother bought me. Inside it is the letter to the worker. I do not hear anything after ten minutes, and so as not to freeze, I get up and walk towards Kursk. I believe the coyote understands the sickness of my grandmother's village, but he will not tell me what the sickness is. I am walking. The sun is climbing. My hand hurts. My feet are very cold in the snow. In the distance, the train is still standing there motionless. I walk, staying under the trees until I find myself in someone's back garden. I have made it. I am in Russia. I must find the worker's address, the shaman. An old woman invites me into her house for tea, and I don't speak very much Russian, so I just nod and smile. She is talking about her son who died in the war, which war I don't know. She is very old, as old as my grandmother. I show her the address I have written down. Gudia? Where? She draws me a map with a pencil. She sharpens with her knife. Kursk is smaller than Krakow and lonelier. I walk toward the center of town, but most people do not meet my eye. I'm afraid of soldiers, but they do not look at me either. I can feel the coyote ghost close by, but I do not see him. Outside the Church of the Ascension, playing in the mushroom fountain, I see the worker. I know it is him. His address is still five blocks away, but I know it is him. He is singing to himself and washing himself in the church fountain. I walk to him immediately and say, Mr. Worker? He smiles at me. He keeps singing and washing himself. Mr. Worker, is it you? I'm washing, he says, smiling at me. I'm sorry to interrupt your bath. My name is Jezebel. I need your help. You are a Jew, he says. Yes, I say. I am a Jew, too, he says, smiling. You are? Also, I am a Buddhist. I see. 
Here, come take a bath with me, he says. No, thank you, I say. I will wait till you are done. I'm almost done, he says. Mass has started inside the church, and I can hear the priest singing. The snow has slowed. I stand under the eaves of the church to stay warm. It is warmer in the water, the worker shouts, laughing. I try to smile, but my teeth are chattering too hard. I wonder where the coyote is. Finally, the worker finishes his bath, and he pops a small mushroom in his mouth while wrapping a towel around his body. Come with me, he says, and starts to climb up the rain gutter on the side of the church. Is it okay, I ask? Yes, come on. It's better to move than to stand still in this cold, so I grab a hold of the rain gutter and dig my feet into the side of the church and start to climb up. The worker reaches the edge of the big blue dome at the top of the church. We shouldn't be up here, I whisper to him. Fine, you're only a little girl and I'm only a little man. Come on. I follow him into the dome, stepping very carefully, holding out my hands for balance. My purse, with the letter inside it, is hanging around my neck. Somewhere in the clouds above, I can feel the coyote. The worker lifts the cross on top of the dome like a hatch, and it opens just like a door. I am amazed, and the worker smiles at me. Inside the dome is his little hut, just like our ancestors had. Come on in, he says, and I do. I climb down the ladder and sit by his fire, and then I see that the coyote is already here. See, you've brought my old friend the wolf, says the worker. He is a coyote, I say, and the coyote smiles. Same difference, says the worker. Will you have tea? I'm not supposed to do any drugs, I tell the worker. This is just tea. Okay, I say, and the worker pours tea for the three of us. Tastes delicious. It tastes like the forest. Part of me is afraid the worker put drugs in the tea anyway, but I know that I am tired, and only a little while ago I was running from Russian soldiers. The worker seems to expand and contract like a balloon, but I tell myself that it's okay, and soon he will give me the broth I need to take to my grandmother. The coyote ghost and the worker had a lot to talk about. It was very clear they were old friends. I tried to listen, but I couldn't understand a lot of it. A lot about history and wars and adventures they had had together and old arguments. Then I heard the coyote ghost tell the worker, She isn't worthy of your potion. Give it to me instead, so I can bring it to my family in America. We need it more than this little pole. I gasped. The worker smiled. Are you willing to fight for your little broth, Jezebel? Yes, I said and swallowed. How shall you fight? asked the worker. By hook or by crook, said the coyote, smiling. With stories, I said. The worker smiled. I like that idea, he said. Each of you tell me a story. If I don't like either of them, I can always eat both of you. Coyote, you go first. You're older. Coyote began his story. I have been hungry for a long time, said the coyote, longer than either of you have been alive. When I was a little pup, I hungered for human flesh, and now that I am dead, I hunger for it more. It has been so long since I had any. Before I took a wife, I found a boy outside Phoenix. In Arizona, the Americans were killing many Mexicans, and they had left a boy outside near a cactus, and he was very tired because he had been running from the soldiers. I killed him and ate him there. It was the best thing I had ever tasted. The boy tasted like fear and like love and like memory, which is, I later realized, what my wife tasted like, too. Because I had eaten that boy, I grew hungrier for humans and looked for ways to eat another. But the war had ended, and human flesh became much harder to come by. I longed for someone to leave a small child unattended or a baby abandoned, but found nothing. Still, I could not forget my hunger. It burned in me like a fuel. And even after I'd gotten married and fathered children, I would spend many hours alone on the edges of Phoenix looking for a human to eat. All I found was cactus and the occasional rabbit. 
When I realized I could not forget about my hunger, no matter how much I tried, I prayed to the old gods of the dogs, they who howl and sacrifice some of my blood into the river water one summer. Then I had a vision of what I was to do. I was to kill my son with my own teeth. They who howl told me, and then I would be given a human to eat at my ledger. Possessed with the vision, I sought out my son, who was now grown and who had moved to Los Angeles where he lived in the Arroyo with his cousin. All over Los Angeles, I prowled, seeking my own flesh, so I could propitiate the will of my gods. At last, I found him in his Arroyo, but I saw that he was now stronger than me. He saw my intentions in my eyes, and he and his cousin beat me and drove me from the Arroyo, limping into the city, where I dodged cars and ran from children who taunted me, wondering where was my desert, and where were my gods, and where was my wife, and where was I? But there was only asphalt, not even any stars to navigate by. I died there in Los Angeles, lost and alone. Shortly after I died, I was given a choice. I could serve my family as a ghost, as compensation for my abandonment and madness, or I could be reincarnated as a human being. Reincarnation I found disgusting, and so I chose the first option. It was a good choice, because I had to learn a lot to become a proper servant of the coyotes. I had thought myself a well-educated canid, but I knew almost nothing in life. In depth, I learned what diplomacy was and what war is. I learned to speak human tongues, and I traveled widely, including to Serbia, where I met this girl's father. When I met Jezebel, she made me remember my own son and my foolish promise to the gods. That is why I agreed to help her help her family. But on the train, something occurred to me. This sickness has afflicted all of us for many generations. Why should it be this little Polish family that gets to receive the cure from your wise hands worker? Why not give it to the coyotes? Have we not served you longer with more loyalty in our disloyalty and more trickery in our loyal hearts, even as your loyalty is trickery in the ways of your awesome magic? Hasn't my family earned your cure for our affliction these many years? On the train, I realized that this girl is too overeager. She believes too easily. She thinks that I would help her simply because I was a friend of her father's. But she forgets that I am a coyote, and even now I hunger for human flesh. Give me the potion, worker, and let me eat her. And before I crumble into dust and cease to be forever, I will be your coyote and work your great will wherever you say. The coyote smiled his great toothy smile, and I could not look at him. I hated him so much. So I began my story speaking in as loud a voice as I could. My name is Jezebel, and I am a Jew. I am ten years old. My grandmother is dying. So is my grandmother's village. For 500 years, my people have lived here in Poland, and before that, we lived for 5,000 years in Israel, the land of Sarah's God. Before that, we lived with you, worker, in Egypt and south of Egypt in Africa. Before I was a Jew, I was a girl, and before I was a girl, I was a human being, and before I was a human being, I was a mammal like you, worker, and like you, coyote, cut from the flesh of my mother's umbilical cord, and like coyote, I want to help my family. Although we are Jews, my grandmother remembers the older ways worker, which is why she knew where you lived. I know that coyotes suffered a great deal and that humans treated him poorly. And I can't promise to serve you as coyote has. I am not a ghost and I must serve my family. But I think that if you give me your magic broth worker and let me give it to my grandmother, she will share it with her whole village and her village is very strong worker. And they will learn to make more of your magic broth and we will share it with as many people as we can. I swallowed. Couldn't think of anything else to say. So you're offering to put me out of business? The worker laughed. Ha ha! I like it. You win, girlie. The broth is yours. And with that, the coyote snarled and disappeared into the mist, out into the night. Getting back to Krakow was not as easy as it was to leave. It took me almost a year. Sometimes I still dream about the coyote. 
Now in Krakow, we have begun to manufacture the broth that cured my grandmother's village. Even in America, they are buying it. I hope some of it gets to the Coyote's family in Phoenix. I know that he meant well, though he had an evil smile. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.